0: Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. This morning we have, yeah, the joy of having Anna come and share with us. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Anna's going to be kicking off our new series uh, over Easter, uh, which I'm looking forward to very, very much. I'm just going to pray for you um, and pray for ourselves. So, why don't you just reach out a hand to Anna and maybe one on your own heart as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this season, Lord, mm-hmm. of Easter. We thank you for how you gave everything for us. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I just thank you for all that you've put on Anna's heart this morning. And I just ask, Father, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us. Lord, would you guide Anna's words and would you speak through her this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Well, how good is it to be able to gather together? As family and worship. Our family over the last month, about a month ago, uh, had a little bit of a journey in and out of isolation as COVID sort of made its way through everyone. And I have to say, we were so blessed by online church. It was just amazing to be able to still gather, even though we weren't able to come into the building and We're just loving now, even more, just being able to come back in person and fellowship with people, real people. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, One of the more fascinating symptoms, though, I have to say, that our family did experience while we're journeying through COVID was the loss of taste. Taste is just one of those things that you take for granted, isn't it? No matter how bad I feel, there is always chocolate. But when it's gone, it is devastating. As we enter into April and we're journeying towards Easter Sunday, it's got me thinking about words and how, over time, They too can lose their flavor. Words are important. We use them to sum up the really important stuff of life. From how I'm feeling to the way that I'm processing what's going around me, processing family life, processing faith. They're important. But over time, words can become bland And there are words that have been in the past so important to me and have summed up such important parts of my faith that can also grow bland too. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be having a look at a few words that are really important to the Easter narrative, to the Easter story And our intention will be to try to restore their influence, to redeem their influence in my life, restore that flavor, so that each day I can be digging into these things. I can be living them out. So today, we are going to be starting by redeeming grace. So, grace, it's one of those words, isn't it? We know deep down, it's really important. Theologians describe it, they define it as undeserved favour. It's something that we can all receive, and it's something the Bible admonishes us to unreservedly give away. But as I've been thinking about grace, it occurs to me that we can treat it like a fine piece of art. We can hold grace at a distance. I can appreciate its significance and its beauty, but it's harder to reach out and wholeheartedly accept it It and maybe even harder to give it away. If we trace the roots of the word grace, or charis in Greek, we'll find a verb that means I rejoice, I'm glad. Is that what the, is that what the world sees when they look at the church? On the days when I don't work here at church, uh, I hang out with kids in one of the local private schools in our area, and I teach them about Jesus. And one of my favorite activities at the beginning of the year is I love to get my year sixes to write down the top three things that come to mind when they think of Jesus. Does anyone want to guess what do you think some of the most common responses would be? Or no, actually not. Not. No. No. Oh, I, I, I'm loving these responses because they tell me that you guys get it. But I'll tell you what the top three responses are. Sin. Rules. Heaven. Sometimes hell. Sometimes it's important for us to stop and ask ourselves the question, are we mirroring what we know deep down to the world? On reflecting on grace, a theologian, Gordon MacDonald, he said, the world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. So if it's so amazing, if grace is so amazing, why do we resist it so much? Well, before we dig into that question too far, there is an uncomfortable truth that we need to acknowledge. The mathematics of the kingdom does not add up. Just doesn't. The Gospel of Luke, it tells us of a shepherd that left his flock of 99 to plunge into the darkness and search for one sheep. A noble deed, to be sure. But he left the others behind, vulnerable to thieves, to robbers, or maybe even the desire to bolt free. How would he feel if he returned with that one lost lamb slung over his shoulders to find that 23 others had now disappeared? Perhaps this shepherd needs to review his risk management plan, (laughs) hire an assistant, so that if this situation arises, he's prepared. Or perhaps my all-time favourite... A parable found in Matthew 20. Let's have a read of it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and then again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Not the kind of case study we'd want to apply in our own businesses, is it? tricky. Grace in its purest form is uncomfortable, confusing, and foreign. But without it, we cannot know the freedom that Jesus offers. So this morning, we're going to attempt to peel back some of the common barriers to grace. The first one being... Acceptance on the basis of my performance. Most days, we breathe in an atmosphere of ungrace, unawares. From the time we are toddlers, we are tested and evaluated before being placed into an advanced, normal, or slow track. We are graded. Analyzed and ranked in order to be prepared to succeed in a world of ungrace. The rules of life, they're drummed into us, aren't they? I work for what I earn. I like to win. I insist on my rights and I want others to get what they deserve too. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's go deeper. By instinct, I feel there's something I must do to be accepted. I strive for acceptance, working obsessively to please others, even God. I choose my words carefully and consider the parts of myself that I conceal beneath a carefully crafted mask then internally berate myself when I fall short of this standard. In Jesus' time, there were a group of people who were expert mask makers. Does anyone know who who they were? Yeah, the Pharisees. And Jesus confronts this practice head on. Let's see what he says. You are nothing more than tombs painted over with white paint. Tombs that look shining and beautiful on the outside, but filled with rotting corpses on the inside. If he was talking today, he might say, it's a great mask, but it's hiding the skeletons in your closet. Well, it's here that I return to the parable of the workers and the landowner and the sense of unease that I feel about the justice expressed here. It's interesting to me that I, my sense of unease always centred around those workers who were working so hard in the hot sun all day. I feel sorry for them. I want... If this speaks directly to us here in the northern suburbs of Sydney, the demographics of our area would indicate we've been successful. Many of us have worked hard. We're played by the rules. Part of us pushes and pushes and pushes to achieve the best outcomes we can for ourselves, for our families. Our children are good students. And we want to be great employees and bosses. We seek ways to increase our productivity and output, all the while trying to find ways to be the best parents, have the great kids, have a great house, and send our kids to the best schools around. None of these things are bad. None of them. But we do have to pause... And ask ourselves the question, how much do I base my identity and self-esteem on my performance? I put myself in the shoes of the workers who have slogged away all day in the sense of outrage they feel when this is not recognised. But I believe this cuts straight to the heart of Jesus' message None of the workers earned their wage. Not one measured up. In fact, it was as if the owner of those vineyards entered into the fields and completed the job himself because he was the only one who could do it. And then at the end of the day, came back and paid the workers in faithfulness because that's what he said he would do. If you were to search for the word grace in the Bible, its first appearance is actually really surprising. The word is first used in the story of Noah. Hang on a second. Isn't Noah the story of the guy whose personal performance was so amazing that he escaped global destruction and judgment? Noah's the ultimate winner. But let's read the story in Genesis. So the Lord said, I will destroy mankind who I've created from the surface of the earth, not only man, but the animals and the crawling things and the birds of the air, because it grieves me to see mankind sin, and I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah is not the story of God choosing the best and strongest player for his team. It's the story of a man who found grace. Noah was righteous, but he wasn't perfect. In fact, the thing we can read up here, the thing that made him blameless was that he walked with God, one foot in front of the other. God, what should I be doing today? God, help me in this situation. But there's also something else In this story, which in English we miss as we read the story of Noah that points even more deeply to grace. The very name Noah in Hebrew is the word grace spelt backwards. And what does the name Noah actually mean? It means rest. Today, Jesus is inviting us to allow our masks to come down. You can rest from always having to hold it together. Grace is not about coming in first or last, it's about not counting, it's a gift. But when we allow those masks to come down, those carefully crafted things that protect us, don't they? We need to be willing to deal with the messiness that lies underneath the skeletons in our closet. We need to be willing to deal with our guilt. We all experience guilt, don't we? Guilt is tied to an event. I did something bad. In its best form, guilt is what drives us to reconcile with others and make amends. It is what we feel when the Holy Spirit brings our sin to light. It can push us towards God and allow us to grow in our faith, embrace his grace and experience freedom. But unfortunately, there is also another type of guilt that we might all feel intimately aware of. And you see, the difference between these two forms of guilt is that one is dealt with and the other, it lingers. One pushes you towards life and freedom and awareness of God's enormous love for you. And the other, like sandbags, drags down our spirit with heaviness. One reminds me that I am accepted unreservedly, without reference to my deserving. The other makes me feel deep down, I'm not worthy to be accepted. The Bible, it it speaks of an adversary that we all have as Christians, called Satan. His very name means the accuser. Revelations 12.10, it describes him like this. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And again, in 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know, the devil's accusations, they would be so much easier for us to dismiss if they were completely false. The trouble is they carry so much truth, don't they? We are sinful We are guilty. We do deserve condemnation. All true. Time and time again, we may find thoughts that send us deep within ourselves to scrutinize every motive and feeling, a whisper alongside the promises of God. But does this really apply to a sinner like you? It's that deep sense at the core of our being that the weight of our sin would prove too much. We could never be chosen, let alone worthy. It is all too easy in the place of the lies of Satan to keep holding on to our guilt But it's here I want to return to that story of the shepherd with his one lost sheep. We are all that sheep, every one of us who has wandered. We all find ourselves lost and far from God. But this morning, I want to remind you of the shepherd who gives it all up. To go and find you. He will drop everything just to find you. It doesn't matter how far we've wandered, He wants to bring you home. Are you holding on to guilt this morning? This morning, I want to remind you of the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And again, in the book of Romans, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus When he freed us from the penalty of our sins, it's been paid. No matter how big or small, it's been paid. The Christian Hall of Fame is filled with sinners like you and I. People who have lied, cheated, done all manner of things. God has seen it all, and his arms are strong enough to carry it all if we'll just let him. This morning, he longs to take your burdens and to bring freedom and acceptance in their place. But there's one more barrier that we need to look at, because you see, even if I've given my guilt to Jesus Sometimes there's something more subtle that can still hold us back. And that is shame. Whereas guilt points to a behavior and said, I did something wrong, shame points deep into myself. And it says, I could never measure up, be worthy or accept it. It's that nagging sense that you're not quite good enough. And the subtle thing, the hidden thing about grace, is it's not limited to the ways that I've messed up. It can also be birthed out of something that someone else has done to me. Shame binds. It silences. It makes us self-conscious. Shame is the fear of weakness, the fear of failure, the fear of unworthiness being unveiled for all to see. It says, I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough spouse, son, grandparent, Christian. We can finish that sentence for ourselves. The Bible actually has a lot to say about shame. When we look at it, the first appearance of shame we find in Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve hiding from God as they've messed up. And when God comes walking in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve, they feel completely exposed, vulnerable, naked. their first impulse is to find some fig leaves and sew them together to try and cover themselves up so that they can stand before God. But of course, this is not enough to cover their shame. It's interesting, before God expels Adam and Eve from the garden, there is an act of mercy and grace that we can often miss. In Genesis, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. God knows that fig leaf clothes, they're not going to be sufficient to cover Adam and Eve. So he does what they cannot do for themselves. He clothes them. This required the death of animals And here we see the first sacrifice in the entire Bible to cover their shame. God remembers who we are. He remembers that we are dust. He sees us. He knows every weakness, every vulnerability. He knows us completely. And yet, he still chose the cross We need to remember that the cross, it was far from just an instrument of execution. Do you know, there were many, many ways that the Romans could choose to carry out capital punishment. But the cross was specifically designed to maximise a victim's shame. From the whipping along the route to the crucifixion, to the stripping of every single article of clothing, to the hours or days of exposure to the elements and the mocking of the passers-by. Do you know, given the rushed and shoddy legal process that surrounded Jesus' conviction, people along the road to Calvary would have had every reason to doubt the guilt of Jesus when they saw him there. But no one would have doubted his complete and utter shame. It's interesting to me that when Jesus appears on Resurrection Sunday in his new body, that this new resurrected body, it still bore visible marks of his scars. Scars, they're a sign of imperfection a defacement, something that most of us, we try really hard to hide, don't we? Jesus could have chosen perfection, but he chose scars. Maybe I need to reconfigure the way that I see my scars and my shame. A scar, after all, it's... A healed wound, a wound that the body has marvellously managed to rescue and restore. Maybe my scars, cracks and imperfections can be redeemed for his glory. I'm reminded of this. We are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. These imperfections, they're the golden threads that shine through because they expose the grace of God. The acceptance of God for someone, even someone as weak and broken and fragile as me. Shame is heavy. Grace is light. Grace says, I rejoice. I'm glad. You were not created to carry shame. You were created to be deeply redeemed by grace. So this morning, we believe that Jesus is here. He's right here in our presence. We believe that we come before him before our healing God, the great physician. But this morning, I believe, his question is not, which of you was better? His question for us is, will you allow me to heal you? So this morning... We're going to come as countless believers throughout history have come to the Lord's table. And we are going to remember what Jesus did for us. So, let's remember that it's Jesus. He creates the guest list, not us. Our family, chosen by God, is gathered from the East and from the West as His children. It includes everyone. The lowest and the least two you might find under your seats you should find there's a cup now I'm gonna get you to hold on to it because today as family we're gonna do this together all right let's think about what this means to us so so just wait before we (laughs) the top off On the night when Jesus was handed over, the night before he was crucified, Jesus gathered with his friends for a meal. He took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. Jesus, as we take this bread, let it be a sign of all you did for us. And all you are for us, that we can rely on you and find our strength in you in all situations. All right, let's take the breath. After sharing the bread, Jesus took a cup of wine and gave it to them to drink, saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, which was poured out for many. Jesus, as we drink this cup, let it be a sign to us of all that you have done for us, for the complete healing and forgiveness we find in you. Thank you. For the peace that you bring us. Jesus, through your death and resurrection, you have reconciled the world back to you. And through your example, you have shown us a way to peace. Give us strength as the people of God, to be a people of grace in this world. Speaking your peace, living your peace, and always longing for the moment that you will restore all things here. We're going to have just some time where we can be before the Lord on our own. And I have a verse which is going to be up on the screen. Feel free just to... Look at the words and let them speak to you where you are in your life, speak to you in the situations you find yourself in. Come to me, all who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest.
0: Know for some, as Anna was sharing this morning, um, the Holy Spirit was moving and convicting, and you know, you know, you need to come before the Lord. And um, we we just want to give a little bit of space at the moment, just for us to come before the Lord to bring our hearts before Him. But we also want to encourage you that if you know you need prayer, you know you need somebody to stand with you in prayer. Um, we want to invite you just to, I'm not going to call you up front, but we're just going to invite you to find somebody um, who you know and trust and just ask them to pray for you. Um, a lot of this journey, you know, God has given us each other to do this journey with and we don't have to do it on our own. And so, yes, there is. We come before the Lord and we allow him to speak into our hearts and him to do that healing. But we also know it's good to do that with each other. Um, and share that with each other. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes now. Um, we're going to take a couple of minutes now, and then um, we'll close the service. And then I, And then if you'd like somebody to pray with you, please do go and grab someone.
1: A lot of this journey with shame, with guilt, with accepting grace... It is a journey. It's one step in front of the other. And if you know this is a journey that you need to take, at the door, both here and here, we've left some identity statements. These can be like your armour. Put it in your Bible. Keep it with you so that when you hear those whispers, those things that you know are bringing you down, you can stand on how God sees you.
0: So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the way that you have been moving and speaking this morning. Would you come now and fill hearts? Would you come close? Lord, where there is brokenness, where there is guilt, where there is shame, would you come and bring your healing and your grace? Would you come and redeem? And thank you, Lord, that you did absolutely everything so that there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing that holds us back from you or that separates us from you. We are free to come to you. So, Father, we give ourselves to you and pray that you would walk with us this week that you would allow us to be conduits of your grace to those around us and starting with ourselves in Jesus name amen so Um, So that's the end of the service. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really do want to encourage you that if you know God has put his finger on something and you need prayer for something, please find somebody that you know. Feel free to come forward and ask either of us, but find somebody that you know uh, to pray with you, to sit with you. Um, That's really important as well. Thanks, guys, online for joining us. If you need prayer, give somebody a call, touch in with somebody. Um, that's really important as well. So we just pray you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you guys next week.